0: Hey friends, welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Deszynski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you're continuing to find the Brave Marriage Podcast helpful. And if you are, would you mind taking a minute to rate and review this podcast? This helps new listeners find the show and read about what you guys are taking away from it, and I personally enjoy hearing from you and getting your feedback as well. So whether you've listened from the beginning and you've yet to leave a rating and review, or you've just found the podcast through our most recent series, it would mean so much if you would please take a minute to leave just a quick rating and review. Today, I want to start talking about some common phrases that I often hear myself saying to clients. These are themes that come up again and again in my practice, so I end up having multiple conversations during the week around these concepts. And I also find myself, you know, thinking about them and conceptualizing them, trying to find better ways to explain them in session. And so I thought, well, since I'm already doing that, I might as well do a series on them. So through the month of May, we'll be exploring four common themes that often come up in my private practice. The first is this tendency that we have to forego our self-control and let loose on our spouses when we get upset, angry, or feel wronged. And I would bet that for most of you listening, it's much easier to practice self-control in public when there's a sense of social accountability for your words and behavior. But behind closed doors, when no one else is looking, it's easy to say things in the heat of the moment that we don't mean or to tell our truth, but to tell it harshly and entirely in the wrong way. Think for a moment about something you've said to your spouse that you wish you could take back, that you didn't really mean, or that kind of feels unacceptable to you or incongruent with your sense of self. Now imagine someone was secretly video recording whatever you're currently thinking about and it got aired publicly. Embarrassing, right? None of us would be proud of ourselves in our weakest moments. And yet, we find ourselves repeating that which we don't want to do. So why is this? Why do we continue to do it? Well, three thoughts come to mind. Number one, we get flooded. If you remember from episode 10 entitled Calm Yourself, when we feel angry or anxious or tense relationally, our blood pressure goes up, our amygdala gets activated, And we go into fight or flight. If you're someone who goes into fight mode, you likely pursue your spouse with strong words and strong emotions. And if you're someone who goes into flight mode, you likely withdraw or shut down from your spouse. That is, until you can't take it anymore and everything that's been bottled up explodes. I've seen this time and again with couples in my practice. So our floodedness releases that pressure valve and makes us feel like we've gotten something off our chest until the next time. Number two, we refuse to accept the angry, fearful, sad, hurt, bitter, or resentful parts of us. And I say refuse, but I mean that we have an inability to tolerate those strong emotions. And whatever strong emotion we perceive as negative, or that we're too uncomfortable to face, ends up coming out sideways and gets projected onto our spouses because blaming and lashing out is really easier than facing the truth about ourselves and the truth about how we feel. Which leads me to number three, that it's way easier to see the parts of our spouses that we don't like than it is to see the part of ourselves that we don't like. It's hard to look at our dark parts, especially if we already treat ourselves with harshness or criticism or high expectations, rather than with love and truth and grace. So instead, we deceive ourselves, we justify our words and behavior, our blame and our accusation, because self-righteousness is much easier than self-confrontation. Reacting with judgment and defensiveness takes less of ourselves and less self-control than responding with consideration and vulnerability. So to bring some understanding, there are reasons to explain why we get upset, why we say things to our spouses that we shouldn't, and all of them involve our fear brain, our ego, and our sin nature. But when we make a habit of indulging ourselves in our strong emotions, what we're effectively doing is choosing to destroy our marriages. And that's not an exaggeration. You've heard me say before that the difference between a happy, healthy couple and one headed toward distance, disconnection, and divorce is the presence of criticism, contempt, and defensiveness. Or what John Gottman refers to as three of the four horsemen of the marital apocalypse. So if you regularly say things you don't mean, if you find yourself flying off the handle, or exploding after keeping things in for way too long. If you were a client and we were trying to create health in your marriage over the long term, what I would say the big picture goal is, is to be able to practice a bit more self-control, to find a safe space to process your emotions, whether that's through prayer or journaling or with an unbiased counselor, but finding ways to become more self-aware. And then once you are, to then try and have a calm conversation where you're expressing yourself correctly, vulnerably, and in a way that your spouse can hear without blame, without accusation, and with humility and self-reflection. But again, that's the long-term, big-picture goal. That's where we're headed over time. It's not going to happen overnight. Because first, what a couple has to do is they have to stop the emotional bleeding they have to stop hurting each other on a regular basis with their words and actions. Because a couple won't get to those next steps, at least not in their current marriage relationship, if they don't first make an intentional effort to stop the bleeding, to take responsibility for their words and behavior. As I talked about in the marital change series last year, effective marital change starts with doing less of what's not working and doing more of what is. So if provoking your spouse or criticizing your spouse or whining or complaining or saying mean or cold things to your spouse isn't working, then stop it. (laughs) Okay? I get it. I get what couples are trying to do. They're trying to get through to the other. And I know that our worst parts come out when we feel threatened and insecure, especially when we don't yet know of a better way to be heard and make our point. But does not knowing of a better way to do something mean that you should just keep doing the same thing over and over that you know isn't working? I think there's a word for that. (laughs) So if you find yourself doing and saying things that are harmful to your relationship, then stop it. Or as I've titled this episode, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. How many of you were taught this as an aspect of your character or moral development I know I was, and I remember growing up and not heeding this advice with my sisters, especially, and the satisfaction it brought to get the last word or snide remark in. Can anybody relate to this? But as I look back, there are some hateful comments and yelling matches that I really wish I could take back, that I regret having said because they were hurtful to my sisters and to our relationship. Now, thankfully, All four of us know Jesus and his grace and have learned through his forgiveness how to forgive each other and how to be reconciled in relationship. But when we were still growing up and all living at home, that didn't erase the memory of what one of us had said to the other, or the relational disconnect it created, or the resentment that each of us felt when another sister would get the last word in for the day, or the trust that we'd have to rebuild over time. My point here is to help you see your marriage in light of some of these things I experienced with my sisters. That this way of indulging ourselves in our strong emotions is childish. It's emotionally immature, which is developmentally appropriate when we're kids and we're learning, but not so much when we're in our 20s, or our 30s, or 40s. And the thing is, the emotional and relational consequences are much more severe when we treat our spouses this way. Because whereas siblings are the family members we're born with, our spouses are the family members we've chosen. And most of us don't intend to choose spouses who are going to treat us unkindly. So why should we expect them to put up with us doing the same? I don't say this to shame or blame. If you're feeling convicted in a way that leads to true humility and repentance, that's one thing. But if you're feeling ashamed or blamed right now, that's likely an indicator of your own self-talk or someone else's voice you've internalized. And listening to that voice isn't helpful, okay? But I say all this to shed light on something that may have gone unnamed between you and your spouse. And honestly, I say this to wake you up if this is something you struggle with, that though it's all too common, it's not a part of a healthy marriage. It's no small thing. It's a really big deal. So like I said, the first thing we've got to do is stop doing what's not working. In this case, saying things we don't mean or saying things we do mean, but in cruel, cold, harsh, passive-aggressive, hurtful, sarcastic, joking, or overall emotionally indulgent ways. Because here's the deal. Yes, it's in our sin nature. Yes, we sometimes get flooded. And no, we're not perfect, nor are we always self-aware. But I know two things. I know that each of us has will and volition that we can draw up to override our lower desires, like getting back at our spouses when we feel unjustly related or spoken to. I know that greater self-control is within our reach. If only we'd make the effort to break this bad relational habit. I know because I've done it. I no longer throw the same fits I threw in the first few months of marriage because I knew that my options were A, unending selfishness and making my spouse feel bad for things that weren't actually his fault, or B, practicing greater self-control and getting more emotionally healthy for the good of my marriage. I could have A or I could have B, but I couldn't have both. So, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. And what this will help you do is, like I've said already, it will help stop the emotional bleeding, and it will also help create a more positive environment, one where defenses lower and more opportunity arises to actually then rebuild the intimacy that you desire. Now, let me spend a few minutes addressing the rebuttals I often get in my office. The first one, I hear you, Kinsey, but if I were to keep these strong emotions to myself, I would be full of bitterness and resentment. My response is right, exactly. And by not saying it to your spouse, it would force you to release that valve in other ways. You would have to do something else with all of that emotional discomfort to release it. And two good options for that are praying or journaling to process your emotions because unlike venting to a spouse or friend, which are good options sometimes, Processing strong emotions yourself or with an unbiased counselor is likely to lead you toward greater self-awareness of the areas in which you need to grow so that the bitterness and resentment subsides, not because your spouse has changed, but because you've changed. Again, think do less of what's not working or of what keeps you stuck and more of what actually is. Rebuttal number two. I've tried to say things nicely to my spouse, but the only way he or she will hear me is if I use strong language and if I get a little bit mean. What's meant here is that the only way the spouse will react is if strong language is used. But getting someone's attention through heightened reaction is very different from getting someone to really listen and understand you. That comes from a more skillful, vulnerable expression of the self. But first, you have to create a more conducive environment at home to be heard in a new way by using less heated words. This helps you gain the trust of your spouse that you, in fact, care enough to change your behavior. It creates an atmosphere of emotional safety whereby your spouse may begin to desire to hear from you rather than immediately shutting down when you approach. And it lowers the levels of stress and tension at home to make way for a more productive dynamic. Rebuttal number three, I understand what you're saying, but what if I try to bite my tongue and my spouse says something unloving or harsh, what am I supposed to do then? The principle still applies. You're still supposed to hold your tongue, and if you're afraid that you can't, then take a time out or set some sort of boundary for yourself so that you can gain some space or take a breath to create distance between the primitive self who is dying to unleash on your spouse in your more calm, collected, and differentiated self. This is the perfect opportunity to practice what it feels like to be in control of yourself and your reactions despite your circumstances. Your action step for today is if you find yourself not having anything nice to say, then practice self-control moment by moment for the sake of growing personally and for the good of your marriage. And bonus action step Share this episode with your spouse or a friend whom you would like to hold you accountable. My prayer for you today is that you would be moved to action. I've included some Bible verses that pertain to this concept in the show notes as well for use in your own prayer and meditation time this week. I hope you have a beautiful day and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.